Let's turn to the word of the Lord. We're going to go back to Mark. We are in Mark chapter 5. I figure if we've got this timed right, we'll hit Mark 16 when Jesus returns. And I won't have to preach. But we want to draw out as much as we can from this gospel. It's a wonderful, uh, creative uh, gospel that Mark put together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the teaching of Peter. And we come to a portion in Mark chapter 5 that is really masterfully put together by the Lord Jesus Christ. When you begin to see what he did and how he wove the story, you'll be amazed at the message it brings to us. So I begin at Mark 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he, Jesus, went with him. Now, what's interesting here is that Jesus is back uh, on the other side of the sea. Uh, and as he arrives at this side of the seashore, uh, a religious ruler, the one who rules the synagogue in that city. So this was a righteous man. This was a man that uh, was a, a ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum, in that region, and uh, well-respected, well-loved, lived a godly life, and a good man of esteem. And he was troubled because his daughter, and later on in verse, 40, uh, two, verse 42, you'll see that his daughter's 12 years old. His 12-year-old daughter is on her deathbed. Now this would make any father really uh, upset and worried, and this leader, Jairus, knows that Jesus has landed back on that side of the seashore. Now, he understood that Rabbi Jesus was a great rabbi, taught with power, had authority to heal, and he knew he had to get to Jesus. He had so much faith in the ministry of Jesus, he knows that Jesus can do this. When he gets to Jesus, he falls to his knees. Now, he's a man not too proud to beg. He's not too proud to beg. He will beg for the sake of his daughter's health and well-being and ask of Jesus, please, I beg of you, come heal her. What he's begging is not, can you heal her, but will you come heal her? You see, the confidence and the faith is that he knows from the testimonies Jesus can heal. What he was imploring him, what he was pleading is, will you come with me? Now you have to consider the crowds of people. How many people are there? This man's using his influence, using his authority. I would imagine that they probably cleared a way for the ruler of the synagogue to go first. He's not afraid to pull punches, to, to pull and use his authority to get to the head of the line because he's desperate. And as he gets to the head of that line, he calls on his knees and implores, Will you come heal my daughter? She is dying. And what I love about Jesus is you don't hear a reply, you just see him going. Isn't that wonderful? He goes with the man. Now, everybody else goes with him. 
Now you've got to pray. You ever, you ever seen anybody move in mass? You ever been in line someplace? Maybe a concert, maybe a ball game, maybe something where everybody has to move together, right? I, I just came from the airport, and when they call your rows to board the plane, everybody goes in one little chute, and you're all like, that. you can't back out now. They're all moving. So Jairus and Jesus are at the front of the line moving towards his house. They're going to his house. Jairus is excited. He knows that Jesus, if anybody can do something for his baby, Jesus can. And everybody's hustling and bustling and moving. I imagine the apostles are trying to keep a, keep a space. They're the armor bearers. Come on, keep away from Jesus. But everybody's just moving. And so this massive crowd goes. And Mark uh, shows what God had set up as a beautiful story because as this crowd is moving to Jairus's house, there's someone else in the crowd nobody knows about and in fact nobody cares about. It's a woman who has an issue of blood. She's had this problem for 12 years. 12 years. Isn't it interesting that Jairus's daughter is 12 years old and her problem is 12 years old? You have an issue of someone dying at 12 years and someone who needs rebirth at 12 years. And as this situation goes on, she's there and she realizes she has an issue of blood. Now that term issue in the Old English in the King James, an issue of blood, is a reference to Leviticus 25 because that has everything to do with a woman's menstrual cycle and the blood that's continuing to flow. And so when you look at this woman, it says that she suffered at the hand of many physicians. She spent all that she had and everything was getting worse. She had a discharge of blood for 12 years. I would imagine if you were to look at this woman, she would look frail and, and pale. She's anemic by now, very weak, worn. And it says in Leviticus 15, verse 25, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her menstrual impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed she lies on will be considered unclean. All the days of her discharge, she uh, shall be to her uh, a bed of impurity. Everywhere she sits, it shall be unclean, and there will be uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things will be unclean, and shall wash their clothes and bathe themselves until evening. She's unclean. She's impure. If you touch her, you cannot go to synagogue. You can't go to temple. You will then become unclean as well. So you've got to consider the implications here. If she's a married woman, her husband no longer lies in bed with her. For 12 years, she's become estranged to her husband because she's unclean and impure. Possibly could she have children? If so, there, wherever she sat, the household, consider, is unclean. Whatever she touches in the house, the pots, the pans, the cooking... The chairs, the seats at the table, everything is unclean. The whole household becomes unclean. Now, I don't know what happened to her. Possibly, maybe, maybe the husband could put up with it for a year. Maybe he could do it for two years. But for 12 years, his wife's unclean. 
Could it be that he stays with her or does he put her out? I don't know. It says that she spent all her money on the physicians. Well, what money did she have? Most women didn't work. They weren't employed. They were raising families. But let's say she did have a job, but she couldn't keep that job because of her impureness. After six months, after one year, anyone would let her go because she can't be in public. She's unclean. So whose money did she spend? Could it have been her husband who lovingly sent her to a physician and they did everything they could to try and find another doctor to heal her? And nothing happened, so they try again and nothing happens, they try again. He's bankrupt. He spends everything he has. He can't comfort her. He can't hold her. He can't embrace her. She's unclean. Could it be that she would leave the home, leave her children, leave her husband because she's no good to them? I know folks who feel that way about themselves. You're better off without me. Could it be that she wandered? Oh, and by the way, guess who it was in the city that it was his responsibility to declare her unclean? The ruler of the synagogue, Jairus. So you have a meeting that day of two people coming to Jesus. The one who is righteous, who has need of his 12-year-old daughter dying, and one who is unclean, who has been told she's unclean and cast out of the synagogue by the one who's with Jesus. It's a tough situation, but only God can weave a miracle together. But something was in her. Something was in her because it says that she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. You have to see that as this crowd is moving and convulsing and surging towards Jairus' house, this woman, there's a figure standing in the shadows. There's a figure behind a tree. She's moving closer. You don't know who it is and you don't know why. She doesn't want to be seen. She doesn't want to be called out. She doesn't want to be removed because she's determined. She's determined because she knows deep within her soul that there is a prophecy of the Messiah. And the prophecy of the Messiah, according to Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, is this. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And so as she's feeling this and knowing this, she's determined to find her way to Jesus who she believes in her heart is Messiah because this verse isn't some illusion to wings of an angel or wings uh, of uh, a hawk or a... uh, Mighty wings that Messiah might have, but in fact, the prayer shawl of a rabbi is called the talit. And on the four corners of the prayer shawl, which is called the wings of the shawl, are the zitzits. And the zitzits are a reference to the law of God, the 613 laws of God, with a blue ribbon in the midst. 
And she said, if I could just touch the wing of his garment. In English, we read hem of his garment, which means nothing to us. But in Hebrew, it is the wing of his prayer shawl. Because that prayer shawl on the, on the shoulders of Messiah means that that law in the tassels is completely fulfilled in him. And that every promise God has ever made is yes in Christ Jesus our Lord. And she knows I've got to touch the wing of his prayer shawl. She crawls on the ground. She's got to find a way. Remember this crowd when you see the reaction of the apostles. When Jesus asks who touched me, he said, everyone's touching you. What are you asking this for? It's too crowded. It's shoulder to shoulder. They're moving in one mass. She somehow has to get to him. And it says that she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. That means she went, if Jairus and Jesus are at the front of this crowd, it means that she literally clawed, scratched, and crawled her way through the entire crowd to get to the front of the line to touch the hem of his garment. Not to be seen, not to be noticed, but to crawl in stealth fashion to get to him. Because she knew that she knew that she knew according to the prophetic word of God my only hope is to touch the prayer shawl of this rabbi. And as she touched it, you know Mark. Come on, we've been studying Mark long enough. His favorite word, his favorite word, immediately. 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 The flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed from her disease. As soon as she touched that thing, something happened in her body that just dried up, closed up, and she knew she was healed. And in the gasp of feeling that healing, it says, immediately Jesus asked. You got two immediately's. I like that. My immediacy is his immediacy. And immediately as she touched and felt his anointing, he immediately said, who touched me? (laughs) And I love the apostles. What do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. People are annoying me. They're bugging me. Everybody's pushing back and forth. What do you mean who touched me? He said, I felt virtue. I felt power flow from me. Now that's an interesting concept right there. Jesus is being bumped and pushed and shoved and touched by everybody, but one touches him in a way no one else did. It was by faith. Because he turns to her and he says, Daughter, thy faith has made you whole. She touched him in a manner. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Back up a minute. Hold, hold the bus. Pull it back a little bit. She touched the wing of his prayer shawl, not his body. Do you get that? Everybody else is pushing, shoving, hitting him physically, physically touching his body. She did not touch his body, yet he felt the touch. 
So when he said, who touched me, he wasn't asking who literally touched my skin, but who touched my heart? Who touched my virtue and my nature as Messiah? We got people calling out to Jesus all day long for different reasons and in different ways. But you cannot please God apart from faith. It is by faith you reach the heart of God. You have to believe who He is. You have to trust in who He is. That immediately He responds. That's amazing to me. And so He touches her and says, Daughter, by your faith you are made well. That's beautiful. Now, it's interesting to me that she who was unclean, if, if people would have saw her, and especially if Jairus, who was with Jesus, saw her coming towards Jesus, he would have done everything he could to prevent her from getting to Jesus. Because as the ruler of the synagogue, he had in the past dealt with her, I'm sure, and understood she's an unclean woman and don't come near. Consider this, Jesus is going to heal his daughter. I don't want you messing it up. Stay away, we are on a mission, and he's working for me right now. That's why she had to come up from behind, and that's why she had to avoid Jairus and avoid the rest of the crowd to get to him. And so, Jesus stops and said, who touched me? She did not want to say. She stands back. There's no answer. There's no reply. He said, who touched me? The apostles say, come on, Lord. Come on, everybody. She didn't just cry out and say, it was me. (laughs) First, there's questioning. Everybody's touching you. No, 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 no. I felt my virtue flow. Who touched me? I believe he knew who touched him. And I believe he helped her to her feet. And guess to the surprise of whose face? Jairus. He says, you've been made whole. Now here's the timing of God in all of this. Jairus, I'm sure, would not want any hesitation in getting to his house. Why are we stopping right now? Why do you have to ask who touched you? Everybody touches you. What's going on? Why are we stopping? Let's not delay. And it says here, it says that immediately... While he was speaking, he said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while, verse 35, Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So while Jesus feels the virtue of his anointing flow into this woman... And he stops and said, who touched me? Jairus' daughter was already dead. Why do I say that? Because the person came from the house. And the trip from the house to get to Jesus meant that she was already dead. Then someone sent a messenger to go to Jesus and tell Jairus that his daughter's already dead. So at the time Jesus stops and is ministering to this woman, Jairus' daughter dies. But in the plan of Jesus, it was essential for him to stop and identify who got healed and what had taken place after 12 years 
that he can heal instantly, that when Jairus gets the news your daughter is dead, Jesus turns to him, hearing what was spoken, and he says, do not fear, only believe. Do you see the timing of this? Right in the middle. It says, while he was still speaking to the woman, your faith has healed you. Go now and be made whole. And he's here's, while he's saying that, a voice comes and says, your daughter's dead. And he says, Nana, only believe. Do not fear. What Jesus did was allowed the testimony of this woman's healing to bring the faith to Jairus at a time when he got the worst news possible. Listen, we understand Jesus heals, but we've not seen Jesus raise anybody from the dead. Not yet, anyways. And remember Mary and Martha? Hey, they were all about Jesus healing Lazarus when he was sick, right? But when he died, remember what they kept telling him? If you would have been here, you could have healed him. But it's too late now, he's dead. You see, no one heals from the dead. No one can do this. Jairus, I'm sure the blood rushed from his face, was pale, and his knees buckled as he heard his precious daughter died. There's nothing he could do about it, and I'm sure there's nothing Jesus could do except he heard from the word of Jesus' mouth, do not fear. Only believe. And he had set before him the woman with the issue of blood, healed, standing, and revived. Huh. How many of you have a testimony that matters to someone else? You all do. The woman's testimony was what Jairus needed to face the faith it takes to raise the dead. Your testimony matters to somebody. At the moment that God's done something for you, it matters to the person next to you. Don't be quiet about your testimony. Don't be quiet about what Christ did for you. But tell someone because someone else is in a situation that they need to believe. And fear has gripped them. But your testimony at the right time can be declared to them to give them faith to go on. It would have been over right there. She's dead. Go ahead, be on your way, Jesus. It's over. But it ain't over with Jesus. It's never over with Jesus. It's never over with Jesus. He said, come on, boy, we're going to your house right now. The reason I stopped was for you. We thought it was for her. Well, it was. It's for all of us. (laughs) Over and over, he stops all that he's doing for each one of us. So he goes and he says, your daughter is not dead. It reads like this. Verse 36, oh, but overhearing what he said, he said, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making such a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. No one believed. No one believed. No one trusted. Jesus, you can only do so much. We know you're a great teacher. We know you even heal. But this is death. You're done. No one believed. 
He had to tell the rest of the crowd, you stay here, we're going on. When he got there, everybody's wailing and mourning, it's over, there's nothing that can be done. He says and declares to them, she is not dead, but sleeping, and they laugh in his face. And he says, the rest of you, get out of here. Get out of here. So he takes the only one who had faith enough to believe, the only one who could come in with him was Jairus and his apostles, Peter, James, and John, and they get in that room. <laughs> I'll tell you, when Jesus enters a room, everything changes. Amen. Everything changes. Death changes to life. Sorrow turns to joy. What's impossible becomes possible when Jesus enters in. Do you have the faith to walk with him even into those places that are void of faith? Those places, if there was any place that had no faith, it was that room. But when you walk into a place with Jesus, life comes in. And he said to the little girl, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, get up. And she rises. Whoo, praise God. She gets up off her deathbed. Wow. And like Mark said, immediately, yes. As only Mark would put it. Immediately, immediately, immediately. And she rises, and then Jesus says, hey, don't tell anybody about this. <laughs> what, are you kidding me? There's like a hundred people outside this door, and the little girl's going to go out. And then he says, give her something to eat. And be like, well, that's kind of weird. What are you concerned about food for at this point? Let's celebrate. But Jesus, he understands the physiology of a body. All the organs, everything's shut down. And so in the wisdom of Jesus, he says, let's get every organ working, feed her, give her something to drink. The body kicks in and it has to begin functioning again. And so he has them feed her so that her body will begin to function and live and walk and breathe and move. It's an amazing, an amazing story that Jesus cares about the good, rich, the good, uh, religious, right people, and he cares about those who are cast off and discarded and unclean. Jesus brings everyone together in the body of Christ. One is not better than another. He will meet everyone's needs as he walks through your city, as he walks through your town. He cares about all people. He made the unclean person clean. He was never worried that they were going to make him unclean. You don't have to do that, church. We've got to stop worrying about the unclean people. Just get them to Jesus. Our evangelism and our reaching the lost will be dramatically different if we stop worrying about how filthy people are and get them to Jesus. Care about them. He said to be fishers of men, not to clean them, catch them. He'll take care of the cleaning. He'll take care of the rest. But we go out there and we say, stop that. You can't come here. You can't do this. You're just doing that. Don't be here. Don't do that. Stop it. Let's get them to Jesus. I had the situation once when I uh, was a young man. I, I had graduated from high school, and then I got a job at that high school uh, during my college years to help pay for my tuition. And uh, so I was a maintenance man at my old high school. And I, I remember one day I was cutting the lawn. I was at uh, Elmwood Elementary School, 
uh, pushing a big old lawnmower. And uh, I remember the Lord showed me, I, I, I saw a bunch of kids in the back, and they're all smoking weed back there. And I heard the Lord say, go talk to them. And so what I did properly is I said, Lord, are you sure you want me to talk to them? <laughs> Just checking to make sure I was hearing right, which is pretty stupid. But anyways, I, I, I kept going, and, I, and, and it's one of those things where it's like, well, Lord, after I finish this patch of grass, if they're still there, I'll believe you wanted me to talk to them. Could it be like, like I'm supposed to talk to whoever? But no, you know. So I cut the lawn, and wouldn't you know it, ah, they're still there. Okay, so I got to go talk to these kids smoking pot. So I go over there and say, hey, guys, I got to tell you something. I, I really feel Jesus wants me to say something to you. <laughs> cool, man. That's great. Sit down. <laughs> All right. So I sit down, and they're talking. You want a hit of this? I go, nah, it's okay. I don't, I don't want that. And I said, you know, I really, I, I'm just impressed. I think the Lord really wants to have a relationship with you and get to know you. And the guy holding uh, 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 the potty, he goes, oh, man, why'd you say that? I said, well, I really feel that. He said, man, my brother's been praying for me and praying for me that I'd go to church with him, that I would accept Jesus Christ. I said, well, obviously, God called me over here to talk to you. And I said, why don't you come to the Lord? And he said, I don't know. He said, do I got to give up smoking pot? And I said, no. And he looked at me, and I said, God doesn't care about your pot. He wants your soul. And I said, you know what? If you'd come to the Lord, you'll probably give that stuff up in about a week anyway. It's of no value to you anymore. But see, he wanted, he was testing the waters for that rule. That one thing, i got to clean this up before I come to Jesus. And the Lord had really prompted me not to make, give him any excuse for withholding. Come as you are. Come as you are. And she was unclean, and she couldn't get cleansed. She couldn't wash enough. She couldn't get pardoned from Jairus. She couldn't do anything. She had to come to Jesus as she was, and she did everything she could to get there. Now, I want to close with this amazing story of these two coming together in Jesus and both finding the strength for their healing. The key is faith. The key is the faith they had. Now, remember, she said, if I even touch his garments, I'll be made well. And Jesus said, it's by your faith you have been made whole. So it's her belief in that scripture that healed her. That's what we would preach today. And that's inaccurate. Her faith was not in the Scripture. Her faith got her to Jesus. Let me help you understand. The definition of faith according to Hebrews 11.1 1 is this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. All right, so her hope was in the Scriptures. She believed the Word of God. That wasn't her faith, that was her hope. Okay? Her hope is, according to the Word of God, that the Messiah will have healing in His prayer shawl. Right? 
That was her hope. Her faith was her crawling to get to Jesus. You have to put substance to what you're hoping for. It's got to show up as substance or evidence. You see, we've come to a place where we've turned faith into wishful thinking. That's just our hope. We think if we get a verse and we wish and we wish and we hope, I believe, I believe, I believe. But that's hope. You've got to have substance to it. Let me give it to you real plain. You have a hope in your salvation. You've trusted Jesus. And by trusting him, you believe you're saved. That's your hope. It's invisible. Now, where's the evidence of that? It should show up in everything you do. Your faith must have fruit. Your faith must be evident. Your neighbor should know you're a believer. Why? Because it should be showing up. The people you work with, your husband, your wife, your children, wherever you go, you should be identified that's a Christian. How do you know? How do you tell? Because of what shows up. That's faith. You want to trust God, then you go and do something for what you're hoping for. Does that make sense to you? And so we have to do something. We have to evidence the purposes of God. We have to show it up. This woman said, if I touch... Her hope was, according to Scripture, if I touch him, I'll be healed. Her faith said, I'm going to get there no matter what. That's why Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Your faith got you to me. He said the same thing to the four men who lowered the paralytic man through the ceiling. He didn't say to the man who was on that mat, who was paralytic, your faith made you whole. No. No. But didn't he get the healing? Yeah. He said, their faith made you whole. How did their faith make him whole? They dug a hole in the rough. Substance. We believe Jesus will heal you. How much do you believe? I'm going to find a way to Jesus. I'm going to rip a hole in this guy's roof. (laughs) And they literally tear the man's house down. To get this guy down there and Jesus heals that guy because of their faith. You see, it's substance. And what the church needs today is substance, evidence, proof. Do you believe Jesus is your Lord and your master? Prove it. Do you believe that he heals? Do you believe he cares for the poor? Do you believe he cares for the sick? Prove it. Show up where they are. Care for them. Minister to them. There's got to be evidence. Jairus was about to quit. At any point, it was over. His daughter's dead. Now I'm done. Jesus, go back where you came from. The people are laughing. The people are wailing. It's over. But something gripped him. He saw something happen before his eyes. And his faith said, Jesus, come all the way in. And Jesus walked with him past the mockers, past the crowds, into the room of death, and laid his hands on the girl. Substance. How many of you know that God will bring substance to your life? 
He's not just a wishful thinking God. He brings substance to you. He's healed your sickness. He's healed your diseases. He's healed your sin. He's delivered you from the bondages you've been in. There's substance to our faith. I'm a changed person because of Jesus Christ. My life is good and it shows up as good. I've got evidence to prove that if you follow Jesus, you'll have a good life. I've got some proof here. How about you? And that's what Jesus did that day. He showed up with evidence for a man who's a religious leader and for a woman who is unclean. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you this